So Joe Biden has declared Russia a threat, a national emergency. There are new sanctions. Ten diplomats thrown out for election meddling. Okay. I don't know what I'm supposed to argue here. Today we announce actions to hold the Russian government to account for the solar winds intrusion, reports of bounties on U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan, and attempts to interfere in the 2020 U.S. election. That, according to the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken. Now, he was actually in Afghanistan where Joe Biden said he's going to remove the troops. I should get into that. I should get into that because when... Uh, when a guy by the name of Donald Trump was going to remove troops, it was the worst thing in the world. Tony Katz, so good to be with you on Tony Katz today. An absolute pleasure. I'll get to that in a second. But first, how funny that the Secretary of State is discussing reports of bounties on U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan when we learned today that, well, that's not true. It was a hoax, as Donald Trump said. The intelligence communities don't actually believe the sources. And again, it goes to, well, what were you willing to do about it? Sanctions? They are paying people to kill American soldiers? What are they? Do they pay more based on rank? I'm just curious as to how they do it. And your best thing is a sanction? Wow. Now, solar winds, right? That's uh, IT infrastructure and the exploits that were discovered there in order to, to hack it. Was it the Treasury Department? It was the Commerce Department, I think it was. So, again, sanctions, sure. You don't, you're not going to have me get angry about it. But just be clear, if this is enough for the political left, when the conversation about uh, the, the bounties, the, the left wanted a pound of flesh... From the Russians, why isn't Trump doing more? Why am I to believe that sanctions are enough now? But I never mind sanctioning the Russians. You have to deal with them in some ways. You have to handle them in other ways. And you have to recognize that Vladimir Putin sees uh, Joe Biden as remarkably weak. Remarkably weak. We talked the other day about things going on in Crimea. And the Russians saying to the U.S., don't, don't mess with us on this. Right? The Crimea is, is, is ours. It belongs uh, to us. But this has been Vladimir Putin's way, his modus operandi, for a good long time. This is a guy who has a, a remarkably difficult task, which is bringing back strength to Russia when Russia is weak. They're weak because they have a population problem. You remember a few years back that, that Vladimir Putin wanted people to return to Russia and, and basically repopulate, right? We have vodka, you, it'll do the rest. We have vodka, it'll help. It's because it's hard to run a country when you don't have any people and they have got a population issue. But they also have an issue that they don't actually create that much. And how do you then build markets? The idea that they took the, the move out of communism well isn't, isn't 100% factual. The, some of the oligarchs did. 
Some people are like, oh, wait, 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 this, the, I can just have this oil industry? Okay, I now run the oil industry. Look at me, I'm a billionaire. That's what happens in a lot of different arenas. Vladimir Putin's trying to figure out how to keep a Russia growing. Remember, this is a guy who takes it personal that the Soviet Union fell. This is KGB thinking 101 people. Takes it personally. So when he talks about the U.S. should leave Russia alone in regards to Crimea, he never thought it was a problem when he was buzzing uh, U.S. uh, warships with, with his fighter jets. That was totally fine. I don't ever mind a sanction against Russia. It's just important to know that Russia's not going to be stop being a problem until Vladimir Putin is out of the picture. And even then, they might still very well be a problem. And Russia's going to align itself with China right until China decides, okay, we're taking this part of Russia. Thank you very much. And then Russia's going to have that fight. I think Vladimir Putin certainly understands that. But the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and that's what he's going to go with. Maybe to help create a better deal down, down the road, down the line. Making America less of a threat, or less, or less strong, I should say, a threat to their existence as, well, just horrific people, uh, is, is job number one. Is absolutely job number one. But now that Biden has declared Russia a threat, does it mean that all we're going to get is sanctions? When are we going to see real tough movement? They hacked the Commerce Department. When do we see tough movement? They are threatening Crimea and telling us not to get close. When do we see real movement? Again, ain't nothing wrong with some sanctions. Not in the slightest. But we got to see whether or not Joe Biden is really prepared to go toe-to-toe. Now, one of the things Joe Biden has done, as I said, is said, we are pulling out of Afghanistan. By September 11th, we'll be out of Afghanistan. That's the 20-year anniversary of September 11th, which is stunning, right? I lived in Washington, D.C. at the time. I was working downtown as things happened. It was a surreal scene. We'll save that story for another day. I don't like that troops are going to be out by September 11th because I don't like that kind of playing around, you know? It's like people who say, you know, we'll be back to normal by July 4th, Independence Day. What are you doing? You get back to normal as quickly as possible. Today. Today you get back. It's it's Thursday. We're back to normal. Right? You don't wait just so you can have some pomp and circumstance thing happening. It's, that's pretty gross. But it was Donald Trump who wanted to pull troops. And, of course, there were some people who objected, like Senator uh, Lindsey Graham. Right? He has opposed this. He opposes this with Joe Biden. But Drew Holden did some work on social media. This was the tweet from CNN when Trump was saying we're going to pull out of uh, Afghanistan. NATO's Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg issued a stark warning that any premature withdrawal from Afghanistan could be dangerous a day after reports that President Trump is eyeing a troop drawdown against the advice of the nation's top military officials. That was then. What do they have now? 
as President Biden prepares to lay out his plan to withdraw U.S. troops from Afghanistan. A source familiar with his thinking tells CNN that he thinks no amount of U.S. troops in the country can be a game changer anymore. You see, then it was about, oh, Donald Trump doesn't know what he's doing. It's very dangerous. Now it's Joe Biden has contemplated this with serious thoughts, and we realize that he knows what's best for us. CNN then. This is just reckless, and it's really risky, according to one person of Trump's plan to withdraw troops from Afghanistan and Iraq. You're not sharing information with the incoming administration, so the likelihood that something could go wrong is very, very high. That was then. Now, former President Obama praised President Biden's bold leadership for his decision to withdraw U.S. troops from Afghanistan by September 11th, saying that, quote, it is time to recognize that we have accomplished all that we can militarily, unquote, in America's longest war. So some random talking head is Trump's going to get us this is just being reckless but former President Obama he has given his his ringing endorsement of Joe Biden's important foreign policy CNN then diplomats worry Trump's desire to withdraw US troops risks success of Afghan Taliban talks CNN now President Biden has announced his decision to withdraw American troops from Afghanistan before September 11th, the 20th anniversary of the terrorist attacks in the World Trade Center and the Pentagon that led the U.S. into its longest war. You see, there'll still be tremendous fighting if we leave, but now we're ending war and we're bringing peace. No, not we. Joe Biden. Joe Biden is bringing peace and just thank goodness he's there I mean it's it's madness New York Times then the Taliban wanted the US to leave Afghanistan Turkey wanted the US out of Syria and North Korea wanted them to stop military exercises with South Korea Trump has now to some extent obliged all three but without getting much in return the New York Times now We went to Afghanistan because of a horrific attack that happened 20 years ago, President Biden said, announcing a full withdrawal from the country. Quote, that cannot explain why we should remain there in 2021. When Trump did it, he didn't get anything in return. When Biden does it, it's totally fine. It goes on and on and on. It's just... Manus, I love that uh, Drew Holden points out one from Time Magazine. Trevor Noah of The Daily Show says Donald Trump's Afghanistan war strategy is like his position on Nazis. It's unclear. Why would you even ask Trevor Noah? Who gives a damn? I, I, don't, I don't watch the show, right? The Daily Show. I have no idea if he's any good. But I see little clips, and it's like, okay, yeah, this is boring. Okay, this is boring. Okay, this is, yes, this is exactly what uh, the, the, the people uh, of the woke want you to say. Okay, good, fine. I guess that's what they may say about me as well. But there is no denying. By the way, uh, Trump's plan was to withdraw troops. So I guess, uh, I guess uh, Biden's uh, plan is like his uh, position on Nazis. Very, very unclear. Very, very unclear. Certainly Biden's position on anti-Semites is totally unclear. 
They have two different ways of looking at the world. One, if Trump's in office. One, if their guy's in office. One, if you want to do it. Another, if they want to do it. And this is why people don't trust media. Is it the end of days to withdraw troops? I don't think so. I have no problem with it, really. I haven't, I haven't seen anything that convinces me otherwise that shows me why we need to keep troops there for another 20 years. I don't see it. But when you see how media lies, how they do things based on who's in power, this clear cut that Drew Holden put together over there, uh, uh, he did it on Twitter. The former guy on Capitol Hill. You see very, very clearly, very clearly, why so many of us don't trust. How could you trust CNN? How could you trust the New York Times? They're not in it for the news. They're in it for the ideology. They're okay with lying to you because, say it with me, the ends justify the means. I'm Tony Katz. So producer Ari sends me a story and says, Tony, you got to see this. And I'm like, okay. I said, why do I have to see the story? And then I read the headline. Jim Jordan told to shut your mouth after ranting endlessly at Fauci. I'm like, oh, well, looks like the people in Congress are just having themselves a lovely, lovely day. So uh, should I start from the beginning, producer Ari? No, I go to like a minute 15. That's when I think it gets what you're like. All right, so I'll, I'll start in a minute just a little bit earlier. First of all, Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Uh, William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. He's scheduled to be with us in a little bit to talk about the Derek Chauvin case, uh, this about the murder of, uh, death of George Floyd, and the defense is wrapped up. And I don't think the defense went the way they thought it was going to go. And I think they felt pretty good because the prosecution didn't necessarily go the way they thought it was going to go. Chauvin even declined to testify, claiming the fifth. We'll get into that. But so much about COVID, so much about masks. I think Rand Paul has been great on this subject. But this is Dr. Fauci. This is Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio and Congresswoman Maxine Waters of California. I'll pick it up. I haven't heard it yet. I have not heard it. This is the House Coronavirus Crisis Subcommittee got into a shouting match. Uh, good thing the adults are in charge. If I could play it, I would be flat out dangerous, I tell you. Flat out Dangerous. No, no, no. I think I think I can I think I can figure it out now. I think I can do it now. <laughs> well, that's laughter right Thank there. Thank you, Ms. Vaughn. Possibly can to get the level of infection in this country low that it is no longer a threat. That is when. And I believe when that happens, you will see what determines when. I'm sorry. What? What measure? What, what, I mean, are, are we just going to continue this forever? Or when does when does no. when do we get to the point? What measure? What standard? What objective uh, outcome do we have to reach before before Americans get their liberty and freedoms back? You know, I, you're indicating liberty and freedom. I look at it as a public health measure to prevent people from dying and going to the hospital. You don't think Americans' liberties have been threatened the last year, Dr. Fauci? They've been assaulted. Their liberties have. I don't look at this as a liberty thing, Congressman Jordan. Well, that's I look obvious. At this as a public health thing. 
But, uh, the, I disagree with you, you on that. You think the Constitution completely. is suspended during, a, during a, a, a virus, during a pandemic? It's certainly not. This will end for sure when we get the level of infection very low. It is now at such a high level, there's a threat again of major surges. Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci, over the last year, Americans' First Amendment rights have been completely attacked. Your right to go to church, your right to assemble, your right to petition your government, freedom of the press, freedom of speech have all been assaulted. I mean, for a year now, Americans haven't been able to go to church. Even today, when they go to church, they're limited in the size of, of, of worshipers who can meet. Your right to assemble? Oh my goodness. We had a curfew last fall in Ohio. You had to be in your home at 10. In Pennsylvania, you had to be in your home. Uh, When you're in your home, you had to wear a mask. In Vermont, when you're in your home, you didn't have to wear a mask, Dr. Fauci, because you weren't allowed to have people over to your house. Yeah, Yeah, Congressman Jordan. Your ability to petition your government for a year, for a year, American citizens haven't been able to come to their capital to petition their government to talk to their representatives and freedom of the press. These very pictures that Representative Scalise just showed you and talked about, guess what? The press isn't allowed in those facilities. The press is not, the Biden administration will not let the press in there. And certainly freedom of speech. I mean, freedom of, the governor of our third largest state meets with, with physicians and, that, and that's, that, that video is censored because they dare to agree, disagree with Dr. Fauci. So I just want to know, when do Americans get their First Amendment liberties back? You know, I don't think anything was censured because they felt they couldn't disagree with me. I think you're pers- you're pers- making this a personal thing, and it isn't. It's not a personal thing. No, you are. That is exactly what you're doing. No, your recommendations carry a lot of weight, Dr. Fauci. We just had the, the chair of yeah. the Financial Services Committee said she loves you, and you're the greatest thing in the world. Will My the recommendations yield? are consistent. Will the gentleman yield? No, it's my, it's my. Now, could I answer the question, please? My recommendations are not a personal recommendation. It's based on the CDC guidance, which is which is. And which I'm asking the question: What measures have to be attained before yeah. Americans get their First Amendment liberties back? I just told. Well, that went well. <laughs> I'm Tony Katz. So, in addition to what's going on in, in Brooklyn Center. You have the trial for Derek Chauvin. This, of course, George Floyd. And that trial, well, that trial has wrapped. And there are people who will tell you that the defense is doing just great. And then I've got people saying that the defense didn't have a good day. It, 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 I, I guess everything is in uh, the eye of the beholder. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, joins us right now. The mind behind legalinsurrection.com. And, you know, it's interesting. Different lawyers can see things in different ways. Of course, you have had a team following this case all 14 days of it so far. It ends with with the defense resting today, Derek Chauvin not testifying, asserting his Fifth Amendment rights, I'd like for you to give us a look at the prosecution and a look at the defense and how you would grade both. Uh, Well, I, I think they actually both did pretty well. The prosecution had the advantage of a large team and enormous resources behind it, not just the the uh, regular prosecutors, but they had volunteer attorneys 
who were helping out from major law firms helping out behind the scenes. So I think one thing that came across very clearly is the disparity in resources. You basically had um, Nelson, the defense attorney, doing it alone. Now, he did have some people behind the scenes helping him, but he had to examine all the witnesses. And I really do think the defense would have been better served if they had an attorney for the trial who focused specifically on the medical evidence, because that's where Nelson was the weakest, the the defense attorney. So I think they were all very good. I thought the prosecutors were very good. I think that they were very good questioning. And I think Chauvin made the right decision not to testify, because I think these two prosecutors or whichever one of them would have asked the questions would have essentially tortured him on the witness stand. I mean, it would have been brutal. These These were very competent prosecutors. So I think they, they all did very well, but the disparity in resources, uh, I think, came across pretty clearly. Well, that's going to rub some people the wrong way in that, okay, this guy didn't have money for defense. Did he get a, a proper uh, defense? What was, as you see it, uh, the key case of the prosecution, and what was uh, the key case of the defense? Right. Well, I do think he got a a legally sufficient defense. Okay, Um, and he did have I think his union is paying his legal fees. But, you know, he didn't have the whole team like the prosecutors did. Uh, The the prosecutor's best piece of evidence is that videotape. It's a nine minute videotape where even if you can justify uh, and I think you can Floyd being taken to the ground being put in a prone position at some point. I think even the prosecution's use of force witnesses admitted um, that that was okay, but it's the length of time and the fact that Chauvin keeps the pressure on him. It's not quite knee to the neck like the media is saying, but kept the pressure on him even after he visibly stopped breathing. I mean, for a minute or two after that, uh, it just, there's just that, length of time is brutal and i expect that that tape will be showed or at least part of it will be showed in the closing arguments by the prosecution that's their best piece of evidence that if you just turned him on his side or if you'd given him a little uh you know more breathing room so to speak uh you know halfway through the nine minutes he'd be alive uh and so that i think is a really tough thing for the the defense to overcome. I think they can justify a lot of what was done, but it's those extra three to four, three to five minutes that are going to be a real problem. The part of the point of view from the uh, defense point of view, I think their strongest thing is essentially that Chauvin did nothing that in and of itself um, would have uh, killed a normal, healthy person, and that he couldn't have known that there were all these drugs in the system, that he had a bad heart, all these other things. So his use of force was objectively reasonable, even if that reasonable use of force on this particular person resulted in heart failure. So uh, I think that's the defense point of view. And I think they scored a lot of points on the use of force experts that really you're getting down to this three to four minutes out of the nine minutes where it becomes questionable. And remember, at least in theory, the defense only needs to raise reasonable doubt as to the cause of death, the role that the knee on the back was. I think this notion that his knee was on the neck for nine minutes, I think that's been completely debunked 
by the prosecution's own witnesses that for the most part, the knee was on the upper shoulder across the back of the neck. It, it was not pushing on the blood supply to the brain for any considerable period of time. Uh, they started the case by calling witnesses saying this was the equivalent of a, I forget what they call it, a blood choke or something like that, where you cut off the carotid artery and you deprive the brain, brain of oxygen and everything else shuts down. But their own medical witness, the key, the key medical witness for the prosecution said that's not what caused the death, that there's no evidence of that. There's no physical evidence of it, and that's not what happened. The prosecution theory is you kept him in a position that made it difficult, if not impossible, for him to breathe in and out. So, you know, if I were the defense, I would get up there and I'd say, here's what they said in the opening statement. Here's what they're, you know, for four, first five days of trial, they had one theory which was cutting off the, the flow of blood. And now they've switched and you don't get to pick and choose. And if you've got if and if you're tossing a coin here, that's reasonable doubt. So that's what I would do if I were the defense. Talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. You should check it out. Be a part of, of the foundation. Do the whole thing. Uh, I agree with you, uh, being the outsider looking in. Of course, Chauvin should not have have, uh, testified. I I can't recommend uh, anybody uh, testifying uh, in in their own case. When it comes to this prosecution, following some others, as I had, a whole bunch of people, that maybe the prosecution didn't create enough of an opportunity of uh, beyond a reasonable doubt. Maybe they gave some reasons uh, to think that uh, Chauvin uh, has the case going in his favor. Will we see anything like that when it comes to what charge they find Derek Chauvin guilty of? Because I agree that they will find him guilty of something. There's a second-degree murder charge. There's a third-degree murder charge. There's the manslaughter opportunity. As you see it, which one is it going to be? You know, if if I had to bet, I'd say they're going to convict him of manslaughter. I forget the specific wording of the statute, but it's essentially, you know, if you in a grossly negligent way put somebody in a position that, um, you know, death is reasonably foreseeable, that um, you're guilty, even if you didn't intend it to happen. And I think that's what it's going to be. The the second-degree murder uh, is not as many people are saying intentional. It has nothing to do with intent. It's basically a felony murder charge that you kill somebody unlawfully in the course of committing another crime. And I don't know what that other crime would be here, Um, you know, some sort of unlawful assault. But the defense use of force witnesses have already said that it was okay to take him to the ground and it was okay to put him in the prone position. Uh, And I think for that murder charge, you have to have a completely separate crime. So if you kill somebody, you're holding up a, a bank, okay, um, and, you know, in the course of holding up the bank, which is a crime, you end up murdering somebody. That could be felony murder or something like that. Um, so I don't, I don't see a felony murder charge here if it's a reasonable jury. Um, the um, third degree uh, murder is really been um, it's very similar actually to the manslaughter charge it's it's not an intentional killing of somebody but it's a higher degree if you will of culpability a higher degree of of knowledge and foresight um, and it used to be up until a few months ago that you could not convict someone of third degree murder if 
you, the grossly neg- grossly dangerous act was directed at one person. So traditionally in Minnesota, third degree murder was essentially the equivalent of firing a gun into a crowd. Okay, it's an inherently dangerous act um, with a likely cause of death, but you just kind of fired it into a crowd, not directed it at one person. Okay, if you're directing it at one person, that would be a different sort of murder charge. And they uh, changed the law, basically. The Minnesota Supreme Court said, yes, you can have third degree murder, even if directed at a single person. So that was originally thrown out by the trial judge. And the appeals court reinstated it. And so the judge was forced to reinstate it. So uh, I think it's probably the manslaughter. I mean, I think that probably is accurate. If there's a crime here, that that is an accurate sort of um, negligent homicide, uh, unlawful negligent homicide here. I would be surprised, you know, if he is found not guilty of all. Um, But... You know, I think there is a basis where if a jury wanted to find reasonable doubt, they can find reasonable doubt here. Um, But it's not what I'm expecting. So this is unlike we we followed every day many years ago the uh, George Zimmerman case for the killing of uh, Trayvon Martin. And we did the same thing, live blogging it every day, extensive analysis. And when that thing went to the jury in the Trayvon Martin case, I was saying there is no way a rational jury can find guilt here that the the elements of a lawful self-defense are so clear and so overwhelming uh, that there's no way we can you can get a guilty verdict. And, and there wasn't here. I'm not feeling that way. I mean, here Chauvin has a problem, which is if he had just brought George Floyd to the ground, I think that's justified. If he had just laid him out um, for a short period of time, I think that's justified. Um, If he had then turned him on his side so he could breathe easier, we wouldn't be here today. I mean, so it's that that extra, you know, three to five minutes that I think is probably going to get him convicted. Now I'm going to take you out of the legal and put you in uh, the political observer category. Is the city of Minneapolis ready for what happens when people hear guilty of manslaughter and think that's not good enough? Well, I don't I don't know that the city of Minneapolis is ready for what's going to hit. I don't know if many cities are ready for what's going to hit because the media has committed malpractice here, as have the activists and frankly, as have the prosecutors. The concept that there was a knee to the neck for nine minutes has been disproven by the prosecutor's own witnesses at the trial. The the videotape does not actually show that, particularly when you view it from other angles. Okay, it's a classic example. Um, It may have been excessive use of force. He maybe shouldn't have had pressure on his back and chest for that long. But the concept of the knee to the neck that we hear every single day over and over again is not factually correct. Okay, Uh, and the prosecution's own witnesses have acknowledged that Uh, and their cause of death by their expert witnesses is not the knee pressure to the neck. It is the overall restraint of him um, in the prone position with weight on his back. Um, which made it impossible for him to inhale. That's the cause of death, according to their... It's not the cutting of blood to the neck. 
I don't think the, any municipality is ready because the, the general public, and particularly the public who wants a conviction here, is convinced of something that's not true, that there was a knee to the neck for nine minutes. And I think that the media uh, has played a part in this, as they always do. And I think that anything short of conviction on all counts is going to erupt in rioting. And on that, you're more correct than anything else. William Jacobson, LegalInsurrection.com. Be sure to check it out. I always appreciate you taking the time to be with us, sir. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz.